0: This is a test of the emergency broadcast
1: system. And five. check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go
2: five, four.
0: This is the Pro Audio Suite, a podcast for audio and voiceover professionals. Your hosts, Robert Marshall from Source Elements and someone in Chicago, Darren Robbo Robert Robertson from Voodoo Sound Sydney. From L.A., George Whittam, the Tech to the VO stars, and myself, Andrew Peters, voice talent and home studio guy from Melbourne. Now, thanks to Rode Microphones, let's get on with the show. Trouble, the trouble found you. Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite thanks to Rode Microphones and Harlan Hogan's Voiceover Essentials, the home of the Portabooth Booth Pro. Once again, we're joined by Bo Stevenson and Carson Beck. But what we didn't do last week was get some background. So, Bo, what's
3: your main gig? Well, I'm a voice actor, full-time, that's my main gig. And uh, uh, my background is theatre and live performance. Um, played in a lot of bands when I was young. And so that's my background, that's where I come from. Um, I also worked a lot in production on film. I kind of fell into voiceover because it's kind of a natural access point of skills that I have. And uh my wife who's a costume designer, she she, you know, did wardrobe on all these different productions and she kept saying, Bo, there's all of these people that they have these huge resumes and it's all voiceover. You could do that. And I just I was like, whatever. And uh I had a I was living in near Salt Lake for a couple of years and uh, had a small time agent there. And she sent me out on a ton of stuff and I'd always just eat it in the in person auditions. I just would. But she sent me out on a, on a voiceover thing for a documentary. I'm um, actually doing an Irish accent, a character. Anyway, I went in there and smashed it. It was fun and I booked it. And so that kind of planted the seed fast forward a couple of years to 2013. We moved to LA uh, for her work and also for me to kind of expand my, my work and uh, I was like, I should give that a more focus because I had been kind of building a music studio. And I'm like, well, I got the equipment and I booked one before, so let's give it a go. So I started auditioning a lot and it grew into this. So that's kind of how I got to this point. So what sort of a studio have you got? I have a, a room in here with the, you know, got Amphion uh, monitors in here. Um, my, my signal chain for, for voiceover is a 416 microphone going into an Avalon 737 channel strip. And then my capture card is the uh, um, Apollo Twin. Um, I have the full Apollo line in here. I've got a 16 and uh, X8P that I run for um, my music productions. I've got the Twin dedicated. All of the I.O. and ins on the Twin are dedicated to my voiceover business. And then all of the other I.O. that I have from the other interfaces are dedicated to, to music. So I can kind Cheap of keep those two works. Cheap for
4: the stuff that makes money. Yeah, and all the expensive stuff. <laughs> for the is music. for the hobby. Well, no, Isn't the twin. There's
3: nothing cheap about the twin. The twins, twins, amazing. It's just no. I'm it, just kidding. I'm just but but <laughs> no. But just so people know, because a lot of a lot of that equipment, as you can as you can see, like the smaller and more pro prosumer, it, it becomes the really it is the it is cheaper. But the nice thing about the Apollo line, as we were talking about last week, is that they they've kind of maintained a cohesiveness across their line. And so yeah, I I've got it all set up that way, and. Before we move on, I actually do have to uh, initiate you into some Pro Audio
1: Suite protocols. Uh, there is no such thing as a 416 on this show. It will be henceforth known specifically as the 416, which is a hybrid Four. of the Australian uh, 416 and the American 416.
3: Oh, nice.
5: So. <laughs> That's our mission. This is actually the reason why the podcast was started was the 41 six to change the name to the 41 six that was (laughs) once that happens the podcast is being shut down
0: yeah exactly (laughs) we've achieved our goal Uh, our other guest is carson beck Uh, carson what's your background
5: well hi
2: it's good to be back um so much like Bo, i also started in performance i did a lot of stage acting growing up um i grew up in the seattle area and um i had a family that all came from radio and so naturally my first job out of high school was in radio just doing production i wasn't trying to voice or be an on-air personality or anything um, but being in radio gave me a chance to learn the production ropes and start to fall a little in love with the production side of things and also open my eyes to what voicing really is Um, And then when I was about halfway through my education at University of Southern California, or also known as University of Spoiled Children, um, (laughs) I uh, got pointed in the direction of doing audiobooks. And um, that was what spurred me to build my first studio and um, started taking it more seriously. Had a couple friends in the drama department that uh, clued me into some auditions that were being passed down from uh, external companies. And my friend was like, well, you actually do this voice acting thing. We're all just stage actor people, so you should audition for this. It was a game um, called Life is Strange, and that was my first video game booking. Meanwhile, I was uh, transitioning from audiobooks into... Excuse me, into more commercial stuff. And kind of just getting the ball rolling, and was lucky to have um, some giants in the industry. Randy Thomas being the main one uh, to kind of champion me into the business. And so, yeah, it's been a number of years now. Where at this point, I'm <clears throat> doing commercial VO full time, and um, luckily that gives me a lot of opportunity to keep working on music. Um, I mix a lot. Uh, that's probably what I focused on the most. But I also enjoy. I play drums, bass, piano, and all that stuff. And Bo and I work together a ton on music stuff, um, as well as being colleagues in VO. So having been able to share that path, it kind of means we (laughs) both get to share some experiences now. Um, and so, yeah, we both have a bunch of fancy gear that's, uh, um, that none of it is actually used for the paid stuff. It's just for the hobby.
0: Um, actually talking about gear, George actually has the Rodecaster Pro, which has uh, a complete sound effects library. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that interesting scared me Maybe that you was quite loud the crap yeah. out of me. george i was waiting for that <laughs> it just made robo actually good part. <laughs> I
3: someone fired a gun <laughs> that was too loud sorry about that <laughs> that was, it was violent, violent. Uh, <laughs> yeah we've So what, <laughs> uh,
5: what what gear are you running in your studio
2: so my VO chain is um, a 416 to a Avalon 737, uh, and I actually flip back and forth between the hardware and the plugin, just depending on other projects I have going at the time and. Um, as we discussed in the Apollo episode, it's great to have a, a plugin that reliable that models my hardware. So if I need to switch them out or if I'm on the road, I can get the same sound. Um, and I actually use the SSL e-channel for an expander. And then uh, just goes right to Pro Tools. And you know, depending on what the project is, I have a mastering chain for Audition or
5: if it's a real session, it's nice and simple and minimalistic. But that's pretty classic rig. Do you, do you typically keep the expander in line with most of your voice sessions or is it more for uh, like Pro? i do
2: no i keep it on pretty much all the time it's it's really gentle Um, yeah you know it's it's not doing very much at all it's you'll certainly never hear it um but in the times when it really counts on the i
5: can can hear your breath chopping (laughs)
2: um well because i i actually bumped up my gain stage a little bit to serve through source connect um normally i'm not running this additional stage of limiting on here so that might be why you're hearing more of it um but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much on all of the time. Um, I, I tinkered around with, um, you know, suppressing any level of noise a lot and found a lot of options that were not transparent enough for my ear. And I, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want it to be obvious in my audio at all. But the other thing is, it's not like I'm making up for a noisy space. It's, it's mostly for my own noises. My space is quiet enough. It's just mostly like like you say, breaths or
3: you know, bump the stand and or rustle the shirt stuff like that. Like what that. you're saying, Carson, and with the expander, you don't even have to have it take the noise floor away. You right. just it's, slightly it's like lower it. It's
5: like three to four dB of
3: reduction. Right. You know? Yeah, very
5: little. It's, it's yeah. funny just because me as like a post engineer, if I was in session with you, I'd be like, can you turn that off? Especially an expander. I, I don't know why, but I, I just feel like it's all going to get cut tight
3: anyways. If you have it set right, it doesn't do any of that. I, I mean... Today, I was on with three different engineers and none of them even mentioned it. I mean, if, if, if there happens to be a time where they're like, they don't want it, sure, I'll bypass it. It's fine. But, you know, for most of the, for most things, you don't.
5: The time it gets hurt is whenever you have a spot where it's like like the PSA and there is nothing else.
3: Right. Can I tell you a quick
4: story about the Expander? So <laughs> we were at Vio Atlanta, Robert, and we were using, and you guys had that pop-up studio
5: yeah you're using you're, the hell out of the api right. no. i beg
4: you to use your <laughs> i agree
5: there's definitely a space for it and a time uh, for it and well-placed. yeah i was trying to
4: run without because my uh girlfriend at the time was doing an actual gig on source connect which we, right. which but, was, but
5: we really were trying to hide the weenie there we I mean, really we were, were You know, you're doing <laughs> a gig and exactly. you're in a freaking hotel during a convention with blankets over you as a, double as doors booth. on
4: either side with corridors outside yeah, of yeah I mean, there we And the guy was like, on the engineer was like, hey, I think there's a door open. I'm hearing some voices. Can you shut that door? <laughs> and I'm just like, sure, just a moment. I stepped up and just took about shut 10 it. seconds. turned on the API expander minus six or whatever it was like, uh, you know, 60 oh, yeah. range, blah, blah, blah. He's like, Ah, there we go. Thank
0: you. I was like, yes!
2: Well, like I said, because my signal was coming in low here, so I added the uh, LA-2A legacy. So that's boosting and making all of this more apparent. Um (laughs) <laughs> Even before the COVID situation, I've done, and Bo as well, have done like dozens of national things from home. And I, when I was first starting to get bigger campaigns, I was hesitant. I was like, oh, these are the big time engineers. They're going to call me out on my shit. They're going to say, turn that compressor off, turn that EQ off. And nobody has ever said a thing because... If you're just
3: subtle enough about it, they know what they can work with. And that's so, what I love about the Avalon. It's subtle. What,
5: what do you see them running at like Margarita Mix or or, or Lime or any of those places that, that you frequent when you're going in? Because a lot of studios they're running, it's like, what, what's the chain? It's a, it's a Hardy and a 416. Done. In. Everything else is like cut. No expanders because you're just cutting tight. So actually, yeah, then, one of my favorite engineers to
2: work with is at Margarita Mix, and since we've transitioned to working from home, I, I, he runs through an Avalon normally when we're there, and I know what his workflow is, so I'll basically recreate exactly what he would do for me if I were in the studio, so that he's working with the same stuff. Um, but other than that, if, if I don't have a relationship with somebody, I don't know what they prefer, I'm going to give them a good starting point in terms of what represents my voice best for just fullness, uh, you know, brightness, and, you know, just that little tiny bit of pushing down the area in between. Um, and, and like Bo said, if it's ever noticeable, if everybody anybody ever has a problem with it, I turn it off, but in, you know, four or some odd years, nobody's ever mentioned it, so...
5: I mean for the most part those are the breaths that are chopped out anyways when you're editing. Well
3: right? and, and it doesn't really take away the breaths either if you have it set right. That's the thing. You keep the breaths, you know, they're just a little bit
5: they kind of pop in a different way like they're like they're kind of like
3: <laughs> well yeah if you if you set it if you set it poorly. If you set it poorly, it will do that. That that's why the SSL specifically that it's a really good one. The API I could never get it to sound as smooth. The only other one that I like as much is the the Arvox. That one's really good as well.
2: Oh yeah, very but well set. But that's not in, you can't use it as an insert in console. No, Fortunately,
3: <laughs> before, before I used all of this console stuff. That's the one I would always use. But um, yep. in, in the legacy one, sounds great. It Takes up less DSP, but the expander works exactly the same. So
5: yep. I remember the drummers always being re- like really nice as Gates. It's funny
0: you talk about Gates because Robbo and I have been talking about that this week um I've been playing around with isotope RX7 uh Steinberg Restore rig and Waves NS1 RX7 and um Restore rig are filters and NS1 is actually a gate
5: yeah it's it's a bunch it's a multiband expander it's, there there's also a Dolby hardware piece that was a lot like that I think and uh, I think there's also the the 43 is that the other one that they make which is more like one slider Instead of a bunch of four or five sliders, um, but it's a similar approach to Cedar. Cedar is also the same way where it's not. Yeah,
4: Cedar has a standalone box. By the way, yeah. if you have an extra thirty-four hundred and thirty-two dollars, <laughs> uh, yeah. it's a preamp, a double channel preamp with a one-click
3: buy on Amazon. That, that's it, what I just did. Yes, but I- it is that it, that in real time, no
4: latency. Just you can literally have that.
5: I use the C6 in that same way, or the C4 from Waves. It's just a multiband expander, and that can be really useful in a noise reduction context.
3: I don't like it because it kind of clips the breaths. <laughs> <laughs> it gets a little gasp. full football of the breath. No, it, it, it doesn't it clip like the
5: breaths. In that case, it just kind of changes the... like. It makes it more like... <gasps> The trick there is to just breathe like that normally.
2: You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Is that an expander? Uh, No, no, no. I've got emphysema.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That should be the name of an expander plug-in. Just call it
1: emphysema. Yeah, that's right. I was was working on a a podcast for a a major Australian telco uh, about a week or so ago and got the feedback back from the client that the guest was breathing too much. (laughs) <laughs> so, I mean that's a them. damn you that's don't a real breathe problem. <laughs> yeah.
2: like, that's the other thing is there's different technique that gets applied when you go into a read whether it's for commercial it's different in a podcast because you're just speaking conversationally but when you're reading you know a 30 second spot there's I don't know maybe Bo does the same thing I'm not sure but you just kind of flip into a different way of speaking and all of a sudden you're more aware of how your breaths are and you start to breathe differently and more quietly at least you know the professionals I've met seem to do that, and I think that's where I picked up trying to do that and not make my breaths as gaspy, because breath control is a major part of being able to get through some of these sessions, especially if you do car stuff or
0: anything retail that's a little more pushed. Part of training for voiceover would be um, you actually do a course in free diving.
1: Yes. Which means you can actually <laughs> hold your breath for about four
0: or five minutes. It's a good tip. For the I saw a players. classic
1: meme on um, which sums this up probably. I saw a classic meme on Facebook during the lockdown, which said, um, "Make sure you wash your hands for twenty seconds every time you go outside, unless you're a voiceover artist, in which case you need to do it in
3: 15. <laughs> <laughs> oh good. man, <laughs> that's really. <cool. laughs> you know what? I have thirty seconds, fifteen seconds, or sixty seconds baked into my dna i can feel when i'm approaching <laughs> oh yeah the, it's weird how you start to develop yeah. that sixth sense and you start with that's it's funny because you start to budget your words as you're saying them I, I remember doing this campaign and we had to do like 300 800 numbers but the funny thing about 800 numbers is you have the same amount of time but like different numbers have more syllables than others yep. so you just have to like, you have to just adjust. And I, I got really tuned into that, that word budgeting and those time constraints. Call 888,
2: 888, 888 <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> So yeah, it's interesting. You get it baked in there and you don't even need a stopwatch because your panic starts to kick in.
5: Yep. You know, <laughs> <when> <laughs> you're, you're, you're on the line with like a really good voice talent because you say, can you take like, like, here's your time. It was whatever. Like we need this. Cause, cause even a 30, even though you say you have 30 in your head, it's not always 30 seconds. It's more like we need this in 25. Right. Exactly. Whatever the cutoff like is. That. And so, and, and you're like, Oh, Hey Bo, that was 24. Cause I'll, I'll always take like my first couple takes. I'll say, just do it three in a row. And I'm going to give you times in between. You guys do it. And I'm like 24. We need it in 22. Like do it again. It's like 23. Last one's like 22. You're like, great. There's your pace. And let's, do a bunch more and it's like you guys seem to have like a nuclear clock in your head
2: yeah it's weird how you start to develop that sense I have to do that a lot with Ford when we update offers for sales events and sometimes they'll like throw in an extra line about extra benefits for first responders but the rest of the spot is still the same so all of a sudden you have to make up all of that time and squeeze in the words and sometimes you're watching the copywriters realize that it's not possible to add all those lines and still make it sound natural so it's (laughs) It's that little push and pull um which is always the fun part for me. It's like, it's like a little puzzle you're trying to figure out. You
5: always have to show them that it doesn't work. Well, I can be
2: the same way too. Like It helps to hear something out loud with the music and everything. You're like, okay, now that definitely sounds like too much.
0: Yeah, here's one. I used to have the L'Oreal account for many, many years. And uh, of course, the delivery was always kind of soft and warm. And it was all about skincare and hair care. But nine times out of ten, the script was overwritten. So you've got to sound like it's warm and natural you're just trying to squeeze in the words but ah. you had to make it sound like it wasn't a race call, but you know? yeah. yeah but you're still running and like a crazy i, I always to tell people it's it. like
5: country without the twang like read it fast and don't sound
2: fast <laughs> <laughs> <It's Yep>. yeah <laughs> exactly. or the inverse is when there's not enough copy but they want more energy and so yes. you start yeah. to add energy, and then your speed starts to go up. And right. then you have to try to be excited, but not too fast. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. this feels
1: so weird. Yep. Over yeah. emphasis on the wrong syllable. That's right. Yep, yeah. there it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, we mentioned last week where we're going to talk about Luna as we're on this UA bent. Oh, yeah, Luna. Uh, you guys are right into Luna as well, by the sounds.
3: Probably me, so I'm a little bit more than Carson. Uh but we both kind of experienced the, the whole demo thing at, at, at NAM and ended up hanging out with Fab DuPont over with the Pure Mix guys and kind of, you know, he's been very closely tied to the development of that and basically got a really deep understanding of what the philosophy is with this DAW. And then since it's come out, I've done probably eight or nine full production mixes on it. And uh, I love it. I mean, for anybody who doesn't know anything about Luna, it's just, it's a DAW that Universal Audio dropped this year. And it's for free for anybody who has an Apollo interface. If you've got an interface, you're entitled to a license. You can go download it. And basically, what it does is it is it the environment is based around uh, Luna extensions and DSP-based uh, plugins. And so the extension site is all runs all native, and then all of the plugins like as you would in in console run via DSP. And so. The relationship between that and then the Thunderbolt interface is that they can get really, really low latencies. So just as an example of how exciting that actually is in practice, um, the very first session that I tracked in, I had three different uh, virtual instrument tracks. And then I assigned three different MIDI controllers to those tracks. And then I loaded up the tracks with a bunch of UAD processing And then I had two auxiliary uh, effects, you know, delay and reverb and stuff uh, running on those. And then a vocal track, same thing, loaded to the nines. I was able to run all of those in one take with two milliseconds of latency. So basically no perceivable latency. So that's the exciting thing that Luna does is, is it allows you to have that insanely low latency. The other thing that's kind of, Novel about it is you don't have to worry about buffers, and you don't have to worry about um, if you're recording in 441 or 96 or 48 or 88. It doesn't matter. Um, in fact, in a session, you can pull files in from all different kinds, and uh, Luna just kind of takes care of it in the background. And so, what I like to do is track in 96, and then mix in in 48 so I can get more resources. And then when I go to, to, to mix down, I go back to 96. Just for me, I like the way the compressors respond in 96. I think they respond a little bit cleaner. And, um, and so it's, it's a really neat environment. Um, uh, for me, the only thing that I'm waiting on for them to improve is, is the, uh, editing process right now. I've been, uh, going AAF, not AIF, F or whatever the format is, but AFF. Where it basically creates a, a a mirror project that you can open and whatever duh. so I go to logic to do all my editing and then I come back, and so the mixing in Luna is amazing just because of the way it's laid out the everything's organized really, really great. Um, you can set up your IOs, and 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 you can set up your buses and everything extremely quick, and they also have a uh, uh, neve summing built in, which is awesome you can you can adjust your headroom and for an added the charge. impedance. Yeah, that the, the that is not free. the The summing does cost, um, and uh, and then they've also got um, their tape emulations built into each channel as well. So the the first time I mixed a project in Luna it was, it was really cool. I got all the tracks set up, did all my Neve summing on my groups, and then I added tape emulation and I went through and added the you know the right tape settings for each group. And by the time I had that, and then my levels and panning, it was like. Ninety percent done. I mean, there, and it was remarkable how little processing I had to use to get there because of these, you know, the built-in sonics of Luna. So, anyway, that's kind of the the rundown of Luna. I think it's great. I think it makes a lot of sense for singer songwriters, for studios that want to have that low latency live analog feel. It's uh, it's really really cool.
4: If anybody wants to hear what the early days of digital recording really were like. Go back and try to find a, a copy of a CD from like GRP that label did like jazz recordings, like big band recordings in like the late eighties re- with a completely digital all the way through digital mixing, tracking, digital instruments, that, digital, digital mics, digital, mics. digital well, people. Real, no, like real music, real, <laughs> listen, real <performers>, digital room, <laughs> but, but digital everything. It, it is so sterile. Sounding it is so bizarre because they went the they swung the pendulum because because they could, they tracked everything through these digital tools and did you know from mix to, to math to master everything, and it was we'll see, it was because they didn't horrendous. Horrendous. What's, What's plugs.
5: What's like the darkest days of audio? Is it Mackie eight at? Is it um, like cassette nah. four tracks? Like like what was like the depth of like pseudo-
4: when was when was audio production at its sonically worst? Overall, but not going back to like the '40s, but
5: correct. Like, like I'd say post Beatles. What's the What's the worst? I want to see like 2003
2: was pretty bad.
5: <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay. So, like, would you rather have a TAC 3340 or a ADAT, for example?
4: Because I'm familiar with it. Probably the ADAT, because yep. I'm familiar with how to use it. But <laughs> well,
5: it's just an analog four track you know, mini or, disc. Okay, like or or literally like someone now would yeah. probably take a half inch A track over an ADAT, but. And and the ADATS probably especially if sound you're as Dave right? <laughs> it is interesting because
0: David like Grohl the...
3: you speak of
5: yes,
0: our Lord and Savior. So <laughs> oh, that one uh-huh yes. Well, being the oldest person here, I've gone from quarter inch tape, vinyl, cartridges, CDs, mini disc, DAT tapes, DAT tapes. Wow. Mm-hmm. I've still
2: archived got a, a lot of DAT tapes in my time. Full of them. So I mean, all, when I know. was
4: building these studios twelve, thirteen years ago, that where Pro Tools was still king for the, for the most part. For a lot of my clients, we still had DAT machines just to roll a backup because they'd <laughs> yeah. be in their booth and Pro Tools crashed twenty minutes ago.
5: <laughs> but, but bringing so. <laughs> Pro Tools back to it, you know, and, and 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 you talk about like the inline low latency workflow of Luna. It's it's kind of funny because Avid established that with like TDM, and and that was like the whole beauty of it is like. You got a microphone, throw plugins on it, record it, monitor right through that channel, and none of like the side console split work that you now have with what was previously like if you're using Apollo with Pro Tools, you essentially have your on the side low latency monitor, and that's what Luna gets rid of. You're now in line, just like mixers went from split to in line. It's a similar move. Avid was doing that, you know, years ago. I, I still run that classic HD system just because of that. Well, I think okay. it even works better than the HDX system. Actually.
2: Well, the similarity there is that you're offloading so much of the Offload workload DSP. to the integrated hardware. Yeah, so that's where the exactly. similarity is. is that that's why Luna is purely integrated with the Apollo, and that's how they get away with it.
3: Well, in, in the, other, the other part of it is that Luna, the requirements for Luna in, to do all of this is you have to run it off of an SSD. You have to have Thunderbolt, and you, and you have to have the DSP. And so with all of those things, they can take advantage of the SSD drive and, and the Thunderbolt connection, so that they can process the native side. Because that's the big thing, is like Luna is equal parts native as it is DSP. And that's something that Universal Audio hasn't really done. The, the, and one thing to note too, is that um, you can use any plugins in it when you're mixing. Like I, you can use whatever you want. For tracking, to have the low latency, you have to use UAD 80 plugins. Uh, when you go into that low latency mode, it bypasses all, all native stuff. But the does beauty- Does it bypass
5: it, or does it just let you hit the latency and that's No, that? it
3: bypasses it. It bypasses it. it. sucks. I,
5: I, I wish it would just like, like Pro Tools does that too. When you put it in low latency mode, it kills all the plugins. Right. And that it's just like, ah, uh, it's so annoying.
3: Yeah. I mean, um, all of the AU plugins uh, for virtual instruments, all AU virtual third party stuff that will run low latency. So those don't get bypassed. Obviously, I wouldn't be able to really? play your instruments. So it's just like VST plugins or? Uh, j- all It's only AU. So AU so you for your processing plugins so and
5: It's UA. It's it's funny. It's UA and AU plugins. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah basically. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, you can load up any AU. I mean, in most virtual instruments you buy, have, they give you yeah. the AU option. So I,
5: I think the AU option is usually better for, for
2: yeah. Whatever Isn't there also a third-party wrapping tool that will bundle a VST into an AU shell? Right.
5: There's a couple, I think, I because mean, I think a lot Blue of plugin Cat, developers were that. slow
2: to adopt the AU standard, and some of them still don't do it. So,
5: but but it brings back that that inline workflow, which I definitely agree is way easier, way better. as just a tracking engineer if you can just like monitor straight through the whole system. I mean,
3: and like, I got to tell you, it was I I started giggling like a child when I had it all running. I was like, I can't believe is because I'm a musician. I I I sing, I play, I write. I you know I do all of that, and so when you sit down and and you play. And there's no latency, like so many producers are in the programming mindset these days. Like a lot of people my age and younger, you know, are used to programming everything. But like I came up playing in bands and like, if I have a part, I just want to play it. And so it's, it's always been kind of a struggle to fight the buffers and find that. And, and, you know, there's always a little bit of latency. So you just kind of deal with it, but to like sit down and have two, two milliseconds of latency when you're, when you're playing with all of your processing, like you say, it's all in line. Um, It's really exciting, and it really kind of just, you just worry about creating. You lose out on the creativity
2: when you're worrying about the technical stuff. I mean, that's driven me away from plenty of projects where I just spend all my time trying to get the sound I want and try to get it to work in the way that I want it to work. So I think that's what they went for with Luna: was being able to let people open it up, load your shit, get it running, and be able to just focus on playing good music. It's yeah. it's
5: like besides Pro Tools, it's like the first DSP system to take root essentially, and in, in a sense, it's like, yeah. you know, Fairlight tried it with the CC one card, and that thing was amazing, incredibly powerful, but it really didn't like have like what gives UA a lot of like lift off is the whole plugin thing and and their Sonics that that basically makes it like a platform worth investing within because it it's expansive there as well. They Like, that's the same thing that made Pro Tools launch, was the third-party plugins. Like, truly, like, gave Pro Tools, like, like leaps and bounds against its competitors.
2: Boy, they should be paying us for these endorsement episodes. <laughs> 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 but jokes aside, I mean, there's so much good stuff to say about the platform. It just comes down to assessing the feature set and the price point and seeing if it makes sense for you. Um, you know, I think Bo and I were lucky to stumble upon the UA system because it fulfills... Every need of what we do on a day to day basis, whether it's mixing, tracking, doing VO, and being able to switch interchangeably between, you know, because I can't tell you how many times I'm working on a mix and an ASAP thing comes in and being able to just switch over and have my do, workflow do for VO yourself ready to go.
5: Doing VO in Luna?
3: No, definitely not. No, no, it's definitely for music. Yeah i don't see it it, i I don't see any like i mean nothing's stopping
2: you from it but i'm not going to switch my workflow i'm perfectly comfortable with pro tools and uh, i know Bo's good with twisted wave so
1: yeah
5: And, and 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 that's for editing purposes but what about just like uh jump on a mic and um like like if you're using luna for your primary daw then then do you at some point switch over like that's my backup recorder too
3: I, I always record in Twisted Wave if I'm not producing. If I'm doing a lot of production and w- whatever project it is, then I'll I'll use a multi-track like Logic. Um, the, the the thing with Luna is it's so right now it uses all of your resources. Like your CPU is like at eighty percent, and you're you know you're using your DSP and and it's doing that to maintain this low latency environment at all times. Like it's it's going in there and, and all of that crap that you have to put up with manually with the buffers. It's doing itself. And uh, and so it just, it just seems more than you would need. They're not advertising it as a DAW, they're just recording it as, they're, they're, a, they're basically introducing it as a, just kind of a work environment, a recording environment, a mixing environment, because it's got the essentials to do that, but it's not a full-featured DAW yet. It's going to be a while till it is. There's a lot of things in there missing. Like you can't even export an MP3 at the moment. You right. know. So,
5: so you see it going as a DAW, but right now it's more of sure. a container. It'll get there. Well, it's they they lifted a guy from Avid.
3: That wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, the, the the rate at the rate that they're listening to the community and really taking the feedback seriously and releasing updates, like I can see them getting there sooner rather than later. Um, but for now, for now, I just don't think it makes sense for VO to are do that. Are they
5: doing Windows or are they only doing Mac?
3: Just Mac right now. Yeah, I think Windows will probably come much much later when they find a stable way to to do it, the drivers.
2: And I have my heart pretty set on Pro Tools right now. If, if I ever need a backup record like Pro Tools license isn't working whatever, I'll use Adobe Audition. But I pretty much use Pro Tools for everything. And so that's just, you know, when you learn the key commands, and if I do ever switch over to a different DAW, then I would probably continue to do all my work in that DAW because um, I'm not a big fan of having to switch environments. For VO, it's simple enough to get one track going and get it done. Um, and sometimes with my VO stuff, if I record in, I may end up turning that VO into more of a production, maybe just as an exercise for myself. I, I did this more a few years ago where I would just record in an audition. And after the audition expired, I would then be able to expand that recording into a, you know, I would practice the mix for it. You know, if I were actually producing the spot when I was trying to get going um, and to have an environment where I can just switch into multi-track like that was helpful for me. So really anything that would solve that for somebody would would do the trick. But I'm I'm fully Pro Tools now and I know Bo's logic when it comes to producing stuff.
5: I've I've been
1: Pro Tools since before I was born, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just didn't know it. I was I was in an interview the other day and I actually had to go back to um to figure out when I started on Pro Tools. It was nineteen ninety seven. Wow. I don't even know what version that would have been.
5: Pretty much. like That's like about Pro Tools 3 or Pro Tools 4. It would have been something like that, yeah. It was 3 or 4, I believe, because I like my first introduction with Pro Tools was 2.01, which I don't think there ever was a Pro Tools one. It was Pro Deck and Pro Edit before that. But that was like in college. And when I got out of college, the first thing was 3. And that was the beginning of TDM. Yes. Which was like the whole revolutionary DSP thing. I was selling those systems, actually. And... Yeah, it was like to to me it was night and day, like everything else was a complete joke. It was like that or analog, but there was no other way to like reasonably work with computers for multi-track.
0: Well, my first job was in radio and I used to record on a tube or valve reel to reel. Uh, using a U-47.
3: Nice. I'm Wally.
1: surprised you weren't cutting wax platters or something, AP. pay you right? <laughs> <laughs> Wax cylinders. Cheers. Wax cylinders, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, funny enough, did you guys know
5: this? So I, I forget who it is, but before like Edison and recording on a record or anything, in the early or mid-1800s, someone um, messing with film, I think it was film, Comes up with a device that basically draws the picture of sound, essentially. And it was only until 2005 or six or something where they threw it into a computer and ran that as a waveform to hear the earliest recorded sound ever. It was just never played back until 2005 or six or whatever.
0: So it's kind of almost the first microphone.
3: And he probably wondered, what the hell is this? And then forgot all about it. Like what is it for? You know what I mean. Like, what would I use a? Mi- when would I ever need a microphone? You know, it's it's one of those questions.
2: It's like what do you do with a toothbrush? It's the same confounding problem. <laughs>
5: Soap. I mean, there's lots of things like this. Well, there was there was crazy ideas. I think there was this guy. Did I think he tried to make this instrument called the teleharmonium, and he wanted to basically be in the middle of New York playing piano and just like piping it to everybody. And in the early days, the way they did this was just like with a crap load of voltage. I think this thing was like a couple train cars worth of equipment for him to play musicals like Muzak for your house. That was one of the early crazy ideas that people had. Absolutely.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask something back, boiling it down to the real basics for voiceover people that have their Apollo because they were told to go get one by
3: you. Any number some of
4: producer or fellow voice actor. Should they really be using any plugins at all, period, to get started? Should they really be doing oh, that or should they just be using get it started? as
5: a
1: really? Yeah. No, no, I, think, I
5: truly I truly believe in just like, yeah, Mike, straight out, please. that's all I want. Please, please. please. as an audio please. engineer
1: please. of 30 years experience, please don't fuck with your voiceovers if you don't know what you're doing. Just record them yeah, and send ju- it to well me. Well, just I'll-
2: start like, you know, you wouldn't start building houses by like constructing architectural, you know, genius things. You want to start with a foundation. Because if you build the rest of the house on top of that, it's going to crumble, and the audio engineers, like Robbo, are going to get mad at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, from a starting point, just get a nice, clean sound. The Apollo Pre's are clean. I, I mean, any of these, you know, mid-tier interfaces that we've been talking about, the baby face, the Apogee stuff,
3: like... The Focusrite stuff.
2: The Focusrite, yeah. I mean, get your room together, get a good mic, you know, as... as uh, Dan says all the time, it's more about the read. Start there. If you get there and you're serving a market, you know, if your clients are putting you in a position where you're needing to serve, um, you know, f- for instance, Bo and I that are serving. You know, national brands where it's like we like to deliver stuff that's finished and sounds like a go-to-air. It it makes our clients feel good. Um, And we've put the work in to understand how that stuff works. Guys, like you find people have put in the work to understand how that stuff works and how it can add value. But until you know how it works, you're not adding value, you're detracting, you're subtracting value from your business. So start yeah. with a clean recording and let that represent you in the best way possible. And you have opportunity to grow from there, but you're only going to hurt yourself if you start out slapping compressors on and limiters and dialing in a gate without knowing it because then you'll end up clipping the breaths and then Robert's mad at you. And who wants that?
3: Yeah. The, the only The only thing I would say is if you're going to get the Apollo and you do want to jump in w- guns blazing with a, the with a great sound, just... Talk to an engineer and have them pipe that the other day I, I, I I did a virtual session where I took control of their computer. They were on source connect so I could hear them. And I just went into their console and I adjusted it till it sounded nice and clean, um, with the preamp in, in, in compressor that they had in line and they saved that setting. And that's the one they're going to use, you know, like you can do that. And then as you go along, you can kind of take on more of that technical side. I, I really think that the future of voiceover, you need to be responsible for the technical side. You need to know it. Sure. You, know, you don't have to know it all now, but, and the other, other thing is like engineers have to know how to engineer for everybody, but you don't have to know how to engineer for everybody, just you. So just learn the tools that you need and, and kind of slowly expand from there and, and reach out to people that know this stuff and can help you, you know? See, I would, to, I mean, uh, I was just going to say, I would kind of lean the other way. I think you're right. I
1: think think as a voiceover artist, especially with a home studio, needs to understand what compression does, how it works, what noise reduction I should maybe be using and how that works. But as an audio engineer, I would rather have just a clean, well-recorded take with no compression, no nothing, unless I ask you for something different. Because if you start compressing, especially with radio, and I want to compress more and all that, it it just opens up a big can of worms. I would rather just have a clean take that's well recorded and go from there.
5: I mean, to be honest, like once things got to 24-bit and they were really sounding really good, I pretty much stopped processing in and stopped worrying about like tracking with compressors and everything else. And I just like mic pre to Pro Tools and do everything else in the box. And then you have... Complete open possibilities and the bit depth of 24 bit is enough that you're really not losing any resolution at that point, especially back then with the resolution of the analog side. but it was all so clean so that you just leave leave yourselves all the options or you leave that engineer downstream from you all the options to put all that in there and with the one exception of I agree, like the preamp, gets it in great and, and, and you're not fighting something that starts you out sounding thin and, and worthless. But after the preamp, I don't know that there's ne- a necessity to print anything. No. Well, I, hey, I think this
2: illustrates an important point, which is that you're not going to go wrong. There's a bunch of different schools of thought here. And I I don't think any of them are necessarily wrong in that... If you are seeking out the proper resources and educating yourself on what the processing could actually do for your voice, it can only help, especially if you're consulting with somebody um, who knows what they're doing and you're not screwing with that and you trust the decisions that are made. However, you're also never going to go wrong if you just get a clean, nice recording and give your engineer something to work with. Because as we talked about earlier, I I record in with the compressor engaged on the Avalon and the EQ, if it's commercial and promo, otherwise I turn it off, Um, and you know, you, there's plenty of room to process on top of that. What you end up with is serial compression on the voice because you know multiple stages of compression are being done anyway. If I'm taking care of the first step of that chain in a very calculated move for something that's beneficial to my voice, who's ever going to say no to that? And if they're really picky about it, it's a weird project and they need it done a specific way, then you take it off.
5: I, I would th- I would think that the bigger reason is just so that you can read into the compressor and like kind of feel it a little bit and... And kind of like singers like that a lot. Well, like I I'll, tra- I'll track with a compressor in Pro Tools so that they're hitting it and they're working, but I'm not printing it. I'm just I actually them.
4: set up a system for a, a very well, you know, one of the big ones uh, in promo so that he's monitoring through his Vox box, but not tracking through the Vox box because he's so in love of himself and his headphones <laughs> through that 3 1 <301 laughs> compressor. But the studios were like, oh, okay, can you, can you turn that off? So, so I, like a musician tracking through, uh, you know, a singer tracking through, you know, listening, monitoring through reverb. It's comfort compression. I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, using, I'm setting up comfort compression for some people now, realizing that that's a thing they just, you know, wrong or right. You can judge them all they want as they live in their nice large home <laughs> very comfortably um, but they have a technique that works for them and that's what they're used to. Sure. And, and so I'm I'm trying my job is to to enable the actor to use the tools that at their disposal to eke out that performance that's gonna hopefully land them that promo gig away from their friend who already has that promo gig next week. Yeah, he's um he's, and that happens all day, every day. Yeah. I get files saying yeah, I shouldn't have this, but here's this guy reading this thing can i sound like that you know just like i'm doing that all damn day it's such a weird thing but i i the other thing i do is i'll like a client today she was brand she was very green i was like send me an audio file and i'm not kidding she had a a neumann tlm 103 and an uh, apollo and i said send me an audio file and she said well i don't have any yet and i'm like what do you mean she's like "I, i i haven't recorded anything yet I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> We're really starting from scratch. So all I did was listen in and, and over Source Connect and Source Connect now, and I just set up an initial EQ, just to what I call a corrective EQ, just to just to kind of tune up her closet so it sounded a little less closety. And that's where we started from. And I said, here's how you turn your gain up and down. And that was it. And I said, don't touch that.
1: <laughs> that's it. See, I'll oh, go okay, with that. Fat. But here's here's a question for AP that occurs to me listening to you guys talk. I know, AP, you don't record with any compression when you're doing stuff from home. But does that mean you've got to rely more on your mic technique? Is that something that we're saying is getting lost here? that That if we're running some compression over, that we're losing that skill of mic technique? Well, actually,
0: I do use a bit of compression for a couple of clients, but majority of the time, no, it's just straight in microphone preamp. If I know there's going to be an engineer at the other end, but uh, if there isn't going to be, and this is where it gets tricky, is that some clients you know they're not going to touch it, which is what we've talked about with the affiliates in America. And in that case, if I send out stuff that's not processed at all, that's what's going to go to air, basically.
5: With promos, for a long time they were moving so fast that there was barely any time to mix, and so the promo guys were putting EQ and compression on their voice. And literally some of those promos were recorded straight onto another track of a beta tape. So they would connect on ISDN and they would roll it. And I, I think after that, they would slip it later. And they were just mixing like really fast getting these promos done. And I think that's a lot where that process, you know, it's industrial industrials that they get mixed out of the Avid and, you know, it's never even going to see like an audio person like, so those those times make sense to print stuff through. But sometimes affiliate. like affiliate. Yeah. <laughs> but, TV
4: affiliate stuff definitely is sure. Unfortunately uh, landing into that category.
5: But like having stuff printed, I mean, cause literally like the other problem is like then when you go to another setup or you're in a different studio. So if you don't have all that processing on it, two very dissimilar mics can sound more similar than trying to chase the mic and the processing that was done in one place and not in another place. And so if you're cutting in and some of these ad campaigns are cutting in people that like we recorded you three years ago and like man we got the wrong numbers and we can't get him back and we gotta change the price and your assistant's looking through three years of stuff and so when it cuts easier because it's just more straight to tape it kind of makes people's jobs easier sometimes
3: by doing less yeah yeah I agree uh, yeah I mean I, I I hear what you're all saying because I've been in the in the engineering seat before, And have gotten stuff from people that's that's hardly passable. What I what I'm saying is is like the future of voiceover. You need to be more responsible for your for your finished sound. You just do because most clients out there aren't going to go through a third party studio. They just they're not going to, especially for industrial and sizzle type stuff. Like it it needs to be done. And so that I agree with entirely. Well, I mean that's just how it is. Whether we agree or not, like that's the uh, such a large part of of what I do that it's like, I I remember the first time I did network promo and I bypassed everything. And then I heard it on air and it sounded like ass because they didn't do anything to it. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to use my settings because this is me. I'm representing me. And so from that point forward on that, on those shows, I kept it on and everything sounded way better after that. And so, you, you know, there, there obviously is a balance. If you don't know anything about what you're doing, yeah, go clean. But, I remember when I first started in music, everybody was saying, go clean, go clean, go clean, don't print anything, don't stop, don't even think about it. And it wasn't until five, six years later when I realized, oh, you know what, actually going through processing is a good thing because it forces you to commit. And then when you commit, you can learn from the mistakes that you've made and course correct. And I think as a voice actor, if you're not comfortable doing it, definitely don't do it, but take some time to experiment and get to know your tools. I mean, especially if you're going to buy something like an Apollo, I mean, you've got the world at your fingertips with that thing. And, and it's amazing. And you can sound, you know, you can tone shape. One of the reasons that the Avalon is so popular is because it's like a, it's like a source maker, you know, other things where you're going in and making changes, you can really tell you're like, Oh my gosh, he's going through that 1176. I can tell it's got that sizzle. But if you can, if you can do some bass processing, that's very, very subtle and transparent, but it brings out the things in your voice that are attractive to clients then it's worth learning. And you should, you know, it should, this is your tool. This is and those your tool are the kind kit. of
2: things that guys like George can help you figure out because it's not doing too much, but it's doing just enough to bring out the goods.
3: Right, exactly. You
5: know, what's interesting is Apogee's new mic, uh, what is it called? The hype, hype mic? mic? Yeah, one of the things about it is it's got a compressor built into it. Uh, like yeah. an analog compressor, I think.
2: They um, actually invited me and Tim Friedlander down to their studio to try that out. I'm intrigued by it, but I wasn't, overly impressed at how the compressor sounded
5: so is it pretty heavy-handed or has
2: it it's that, it was pretty heavy-handed to me granted it was a <clears throat> uh, new monitoring environment you know I had headphones on and different headphones I didn't know blah 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 it sounded very sharp to me like it, the aggression of like a FET compressor which is almost never the sound that I like for voiceover um, the application I would imagine that would be useful for is your on a trip and have no other options and just need this small thing to pull out of your bag and <clears throat> you just want to tame some peaks. I don't think it will disservice you at that point, but I, I wouldn't use it for anything
4: beyond that. MXL did this ten years ago. It's called the Studio 24 and it was a USB mic with a twenty four bit converter. Not a very clean mic. Mm-hmm. Pretty noisy. But it had a control panel that let you set the DSP inside the mic. Yeah oh, it, was DSP. it was really early days and it wasn't really great but it was a window into the future and it was really i was really excited about it but it just didn't sound all that great it was kind of noisy <laughs> well
2: in a so. whole other league did you see the new chandler mic that has like tube tape that like all awesome. sorts of eq settings on it that is like the real deal they put a tg console inside the mic and you can
3: make that all these thing is changes so <coughs> popular in nashville right now there's so many nashville producers oh, yeah. i am seeing using it they freaking love that thing
4: Crazy. I haven't seen it yet, but I'll check yeah, it out. Yeah, it's awesome, and it's not a
2: cheap mic. Either. I think it's like a four or five thousand dollar mic.
4: You're making Robbo and Robert like <laughs> just really,
1: really upset. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it alone. Don't touch it. Don't touch that dial. Isn't that the saying? Yeah. Yep. It's funny
0: talking about um, the compressor. I always run everything through the compressor anyway, whether it's switched on or not. And I do know the LA 610 does have a proper bypass, but I. Don't know about the twenty-two fifty-four, the Neve. I have a feeling that there's uh, a bit of coloration as it goes through there. Could be wrong.
3: Bits and pieces on the way. Get some nice tone off of the. I've got a. I've got a couple of stay units here, and you just. You don't even have to compress with those. You just go through them, and it's just like ooh. Yep. Tone boxes. Right.
4: There's actually a new mic from uh, the new AKG company called Austrian Audio. Yeah. Some guy online said I have one. I was like, cool, dude, I will do a free consult with you just so I can play with it <laughs> over the internet on Source Connect. And he was like, awesome. So we're going to be doing that soon. But that mic can, is like the sweet spot between, I think, the, the L22 and just a conventional mic where you use a Bluetooth uh, remote app on your phone to program its internals down to the pickup pattern. You can literally build your pickup pattern, your proximity effect, everything, and it's hardwired into the mic. And that, that seems to me like a really
0: awesome middle ground between those. The thing I find really interesting about that uh, uh, OC818 is it's got, um, it's a stereo mic. So at the back, if you don't use the Bluetooth thing, you can plug in a mini XLR to a standard XLR, and then you can run it into two channels of a preamp. And then in post, you can go in with their app, and you can adjust the polar pattern at the Doesn't the L22
2: do the same thing? Isn't there two cables for it?
5: Yeah, there's and yeah. also yeah. same idea. Yeah, Lauten or is it Lewitt or Lauten yeah. one? Uh, Lewitt, yeah, Lewitt, Lewitt has a mic that does the same thing. They were the yeah, they I think they Lewitt did like before four so L22 good. even. I think I think actually Pearl was the first company to make a mic that just had two capsules facing back to back like that. Was it? Um, they but but they didn't put together the change your polar pattern later. It was just like a 180 stereo mic. See, for how much I
2: advocate for processing on the way in, when you know what you're doing, I admittedly really don't like the whole mic modeling revolution that's happening, and Bo has expressed his love for the L22 to me so many times. I have a Slate mic, and I just don't like emulating microphones. Call me weird, but I am so not on board with it yet. Maybe I'll get there, but um, I don't know. You are so old, new, old school. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. (laughs) I just really enjoy getting the real deal um you know and that's kind of a lifelong pursuit because mics are expensive and I, I don't need that many of them but um
3: <clears throat> i don't know i you know i have some great boutique real deal mics here and i had the slate and the slate gave me more problems and you just burned itself. them
2: since you got uh, the l i
3: have a i have a couple of 47 i have a matched pair of 47s that were yeah. uh built by a guy named chad kelly and it's all uh new old stock from from you know era correct parts and they're wonderful i i love them and uh i've got the uh uh, mojave ma1000 it's like a modern 251 that thing is gorgeous (laughs) and i also have a, a c12 build here that's just out of this world and then you load up the L22 and you just start giggling. Cause you're like, if it's this sounds amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I still think the MA 1000 is, you know, sounds better than the 251 emulation to, to what, you know, Carson's saying. However, it's unreal how good it sounds that it still blows me away. And the thing that I I've noticed with all of the mic modeling is that if you take away the emulations, what does the microphone sound like? And, so far, the L22 is the best sounding, in my opinion. You wouldn't even have... Like, if the companies went away tomorrow and you were just left with this microphone, could you use it? And it's like, absolutely. It sounds great. So, you know, that's kind of a, a, a big win, I think, is they actually built a microphone that you can feel proud to have, you know. It sounds really good.
0: Well, here's a story for you, talking about classic microphones, and I met Martin from Austrian Audio when they were over here promoting their microphones. <coughs> and we were talking about the capsule because... Um, AKG had been working on trying to get back to the old C12 capsule, the CK12 capsule. And so they, were, they grabbed a whole bunch of mics from some pretty high-profile people who had original C12s. But the interesting one was Quincy Jones, he sent his C12 across, and he raved about this microphone, it's the best-sounding microphone, it's just, I, I use it on everything, blah, blah, blah. It was broken, and he didn't know.
5: We have that exact same story for a studio here in Chicago. They used to always, like, brag about its C12 and the joke amongst all the engineers, like, you just didn't want to plug it in because it was like, (laughs) It was like like a not-maintained busted C12, but they were like, we have a C12! And then you're like, okay, let's get the 87. (laughs) (laughs) You remember when George
2: asked the closing question... Like 20 minutes ago, those were good times. <laughs> that's, <Yeah. right. laughs>
1: well, that's the beauty of editing. It's not a problem. Oh, yeah. sure. And it's good conversation. So. Yeah, Wait yeah. till you hear what I edit out of this interview.
2: <laughs> nothing exactly yeah, you post it up it's like hi I'm Bo hi I'm Carson mics are cool
5: alright thank you yeah. <laughs> I agree that we that's shouldn't fine. print a tape goodbye yeah. <laughs> the <Yes>. Instagram
0: cut <laughs> that's right <Yeah.
1: laughs> and AP recorded to wax <laughs> yes that's
0: about it. <laughs> I was born in 1862 <laughs> this show was mixed by Voodoo Sound Edit by Andrew Peters using Source Connect Now and Rode microphones with technical support from George the Tech Whittem. Don't forget to subscribe and like us.